Good evening, Purple family. Welcome to the very last episode of 2002 for the Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We are going to be reviewing the Sign of the Times album. I think this is the third in Prince's masterpiece albums that he uh, had come out in the 1980s. The first being 1999, the second being Purple Rain, and this one, Sign of the Times, being the third one. And for those who don't know, Side of the Times was actually a collection of songs that Prince put together from uh, other projects that he was working on. Dream Factory, Camille, and Crystal Ball, which of course Crystal Ball would come out in 1998. But Camille was another like character that Prince created, which is basically like a sped up voice of Prince. He had a couple of songs that he was going to do for a Camille album that was going to be credited to Camille. And then he had an album that he started before the revolution disbanded called Dream Factory. And with that album, it was going to be another Prince of the Revolution album. And he was uh, getting together some songs for that album. And a lot of those songs uh, didn't get released until the Sign of the Time Super Deluxe Edition, which came out in September of 2020. But, um, but going on to Sign of the Times, Sign of the Times to me was a masterpiece because it was so eclectic. I mean, there's R&B, it's pop, it's funk, it's, you know, I mean, it's just so many different genres of music, but those in particular, pop, funk, and R&B. And there are not many artists um, that have the, um, I guess you could say the, the audacity <laughs> to put all those different genres of music into one album. And sometimes he would put them, you know, in the same song, you know, because Housequake, you can see that as a pop song and as a funk song. You can see uh, Slow Love as an R&B and a pop song. And Strange Relationship is a pop song. I mean, so, I mean, there's just so many different, he goes back and forth throughout the album. And it's just genius in the way that he put these songs together because you know, by themselves, I, I wouldn't think that these songs would work together, but, you know, just, but when they come together, is it, it has a strange kind of co- cohesion about this album that is not really present in some of his other albums. And Prince knew what he was doing when he put this album together. And it is, it is his most critically acclaimed album. And it did get nominated for uh, album of the year in uh, 1988. He, uh, he lost to uh, YouTube's Joshua Tree, uh, but he also, he was up against uh, YouTube, YouTube, which won, and um, Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson. So he, he was up against some heavy hitters that year. And he, um, of course, produced the album himself, as always. But with Son of the Times, I think Prince was trying to really show everyone that he didn't need the revolution to still be relevant. Um, of course, you know, the revolution disbanded in October of 1986 after, uh, their last show for the parade, uh, tour. And there was a rumor that Prince had lost his funk. And so he had, uh, and when I say rumor, you know, music critics were saying that, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know if his fans were necessarily saying that, but I know that music critics at the time were saying after, you know, well, not before the revolution disbanded. Because, you know, when he was with the revolution, he was mostly doing mostly pop, uh, not pop and rock. He wasn't doing pop and rock and roll. He wasn't doing a lot of funk music. His funk uh, music was really with the time. And um, like the only funk song that I could say that he did during this time was probably Erotic City. 
Uh, I could be wrong, so uh, please feel free to correct me, but that is the only like funky, funky song that I can really think of that he made uh, during that time period uh, of uh, Purple Rain, like during that era, Purple Rain, Around the World in the Day. Now you could say, um, let's see, Pop Life, no, that's kind of, that's not funky, it's more pop. I'm trying to think, are there any like funk songs on Around the World in a Day? No, because Around the World of the Day kind of had an alternative psychedelic vibe to it. And Parade, it really, it had more of a pop vibe too, it, a pop slash jazz vibe. So yeah, he really hadn't, he didn't really do a lot of funk. And so I guess after, you know, the revolution disbanded, Prince wanted to get back to those funk roots that he uh, initially had. And so he, that's why he came up with the, uh, the black out, what would become the black album. It started off as being the funk Bible and it, it became the black album. And that's why he, you know, came up with that to show people, Hey, I'm still funky. Don't, don't get it twisted. I am still funky. And that was also why he was probably working on those Camille tracks as well, because those Camille tracks are funky with a capital F. So, but let me go on. Um, so before I get into my review of Sign of the Times, uh, let me give you uh, some stats, as I always do, uh, about uh, the album. So, so let's see, I'm getting this off of the PrinceVault.com, as always. So eight of the 16 tracks were included on various configurations. So it's basically about to repeat what I just said of the Dream Factory album planned as a fourth album by Prince and the Revolution. When the revolution was suspended in October of 1986, Prince reworked the album. In late October 1986, Prince worked on an unrelated album, Camille, to be given the artist credit of Camille, on which Housequake, Strange Relationship, and If I Were Your Girlfriend were included, before combining elements of the two projects to create Crystal Ball. So Crystal Ball was going to be a three-disc set that uh, Prince uh, presented to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers was like, uh-uh, this is too much music. We cannot put out a three-disc album. And so, of course, Crystal Ball would end up coming out in 1998 as like, a, how many discs was it? It was way more than um, three discs, I think, when they finally put it out in 98. But Crystal Ball was initially what he wanted uh, to put out. And they said no. So he had to go back and take some songs off and rework it. And so finally he uh, removed about seven of the 22 tracks that he had and recorded the radio friendly You Got the Look, which was a duet between him and Sheena Easton, uh, completing the album on the 15th of January, 1987, with the recording of an introductory piece acting as a segue from Sign of the Times to Play in the Sunshine. So Sign of the Times was released on March 31st of 1987. And like I said, it's really his most critically acclaimed album. And it's one of those albums that you wouldn't think would work together as far as how the music sounds, but it really does. It has a cohesion that is not really present in some of his later albums. And it's just one, it's just one of those albums that I can listen to over and over. And I say that a, a lot about a lot of Prince's albums, but this one in particular is one of my personal favorites. It, it's, it is my personal favorite. Actually, the song Sign of the Times is actually uh, my ringtone and it has been for some time. So that, that tells you uh, how much that I really love this album. Uh, the album went through various track sequences. 
until as late as the second week of January 1987, before it was finalized with the 16 tracks ultimately on the release. The album produced four commercially released singles, Sign of the Times, which preceded the album, If I Was Your Girlfriend, You Got the Look, and I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man, as well as two promotional releases, Hot Thing in the US only, and The Cross in South Africa only. Prince supported the album with a major European tour titled Sign of the Times Tour, which focused largely on the album while missing songs of Prince's previous hit singles. Two dates on the tour were filmed with the resulting concert film Sign of the Times, which released worldwide, focusing on the territories where the tour did not travel. So he did do uh, a major European tour. Uh, he didn't really tour Sign of the Times in the States. And I really do think that was a mistake on Prince's part because I really think that um, it would have been as successful as it was in the European theater. And uh, the Sign of the Times concert firm, I, I really liked. And that's basically what we got here in America in exchange for not getting a tour. And I mean, he ended up having to shoot like 90% of it at Paisley Park because the European footage that he recorded was really grainy and uh, the audio was really bad on it. And so they had to kind of re, re uh, almost redo the entire concert at Paisley Park. So what you see when you look at the Sign of the Times concert movie is really Paisley Park. I think a little bit of it is uh, what they were able to salvage from, I think it was a concert that uh, they did out in Rotterdam. And uh, I think that's in, oh Lord, I wanna say Denmark, but I'm not sure. <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in Europe. And, um, so anyway, so the chart, the album reached number six on the U.S. Billboard Top Pop Albums chart and number four on the Billboard Top Black Albums chart, which is what they called it back then. Uh, the album was certified platinum by the RIAA three months after its release on the 2nd of July, 1987. It also received a uh, Grammy nomination for Album of the Year, which it did not win, unfortunately. Uh, U2's Joshua Tree uh, won that year, and I'm talking about 1988. The album came out in 87. Um, and he went up against uh, Michael Jackson for Bad, uh, Whitney Houston, and uh, U2. And U2 ultimately won. So I really think that he and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston all got robbed. Not to say that Joshua Tree and U2, I, I guess. I guess they're they're fine, <laughs> but I really do think that um, I guess maybe I shouldn't be as biased, but I mean I can be. I'm a Prince girl, so I really do feel like Prince or even Michael Jackson, either one of them could have won. But of course, you know I'm a Prince girl through and through, so I hate that he didn't win. But you know, of course, he would end up getting seven Grammys anyway uh, by the time he left us. So that's that's cool with me. So. Let me go straight into the first track on the album, Sign of the Times. Um, uh, let me see. I'm looking on my notes, y'all. So just give me a second. Um, okay, so Sign of the Times, the first track was initially included as the first track on the second disc on the 18th of July, 1986 uh, configuration of the Dream Factory. So Sign of the Times was already a song of itself that was gonna be on the Dream Factory. And it was kept for inclusion as the album developed into a three album crystal ball. It was gonna be included as a fourth track on the third disc 
on the 30th of November, 1986. So it started off, so Sonata Times, the song started off on Dream Factory and then it went to Crystal Ball and it eventually uh, became um, the lead single on Sonata Times and the, got the album named after it. So Sonata Times, the song, um, it's probably one of my favorite songs on the album and it's it's currently my ringtone. I don't know if I already mentioned that or not, but it's, my, it's currently my uh, ringtone on my phone. For a number of reasons, he talks about a lot of different um, things. This is another one of his like uh, woke songs, as they say. He talks about drug use. He talks about, um, he actually mentions the Challenger disaster, not by name, but he mentioned the fact that, you know, people, a rocket ship explodes and people still want to fly. So for those who don't know, in January of 1986, the USS Challenger exploded, uh, in, you know, just in the sky. I'm not sure what happened. It obviously it was some kind of malfunction, but it was, uh, I don't know if it was like, I know it was a teacher and some other like, like non astronauts that went in and they were, uh, unfortunately they, they died and it was a big, big deal. And Prince talked about that in the sign of the time song. He also talked about, you know, drug use and gang violence. He mentioned uh, this game called the disciples that were in uh, his hometown of Minneapolis and how, you know, they have these machine guns and he talked about crack and uh, cocaine and horse, which is what, which is uh, actually a lot of people don't know when, when he said now he's doing horse talking about his, uh, his cousin horse is actually uh, a slang word for heroin. And I didn't know this until actually my mother told me because you know, that's a, I guess a boomer word. Cause you know, Prince is, uh, from the boomer baby boomer generation. And they also just like we do, uh, I'm a millennial and just like, you know, Gen X, Gen Z, you know, have all these, you know, uh, slang for like drugs, uh, drug words that you don't know about. <laughs> well, horse is one of those horse means heroin. So he said that his cousin started reefer in September and by June he was doing horse. So he went from doing weed, to doing heroin, which is of course, uh, very bad. Um, in an interview that I, uh, listened to that Susanna mentioned that during this time that he wrote this song, there was, uh, an earthquake. They were in California and in a hotel, he was just out there, you know, recording and he picked up the newspaper and, you know, he saw, you know, all these different, you know, headlines about things that were going on in the news, but there was also, uh, they were in an earthquake and, um, and Prince was so like, you know, shaken up by the earthquake that he's like, yeah, we got to get back to, we got to get back home. <laughs> and so when they got back home and this was in June of 1986, um, when they got home is when he recorded sign of the times. That's what Susanna said. Cause he, you know, he had all these, you know, headlines in his head and he wanted to get it all out there and how he felt about it. And some of the times it's one of those songs that, like I said, he's, it's like Dear Mr. Man or like uh, any Christian. It's one of those kind of like um, cultural, almost political, well, not quite political, but cultural songs talking about, you know, how society is and why we, you know, do the things that we do. Like, you know, the arms race, you know, the 1980s was still, we're in the Cold War with uh, Russia. 
well, the Soviet Union as it was, as it, as, it, as it was called at the time. And so we're doing this arms race with the Soviet Union. And so he mentions, well, if, if a bomb falls, I mean, if they have a bomb and we have a bomb, and then, if, you know, will we live to see the dawn if somebody drops it? You know, and that was always the case, you know, during this arms race between the United States and Soviet Union. There was always a risk of, okay, if somebody decides to, you know, jump want to be a frog you know as they say be froggy and jump and try to release a bomb then i mean who's gonna be here nobody you know we're all gonna be dead which sounds terrible but it was definitely a possibility so moving on though so the next song play in the sunshine uh it's kind of a really poppy song it's the second track there's a live version also that was included in the concert uh, movie Son of the Times. And I actually kind of prefer that one. I like how it sounds on the album, don't get me wrong, but I think this is one of those songs that it just sounds better live. And there's quite a few songs on this album, I think that I kind of prefer uh, the live version as compared to the studio version. So the basic tracking for this took place on the 22nd of November in 1986 at Sunset Sound in Hollywood, California. Uh, during Susanna Melvion's final recording session with Prince on the same day and uh, they did overdubs for It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night. Uh, so this was just eight days before the completion of the Crystal Ball album. So this was one of the last times, if not the last time, that Susanna Melvion, uh, which was um, soon to be Prince's ex-fiance, was in the studio with him. And so Play on the Sunshine uh, was one of those songs she did backing vocals on and uh, Sunset Sound was of course one of Prince's favorite uh, studios to go to when he was in California when he was in uh, Los Angeles so um, I like the song it's like a, a poppy you know play in the sunshine one of those like makes you want to just you know kind of get up and you know dance a little bit but it's one of those really poppy happy songs and um, I like it, but it's not, you know, necessarily my favorite on the album. But, you know, I dig it. I dig it. It's cool. It's cool. So moving on now, Housequake. Housequake, the third uh, song on the album. Housequake, to me, it's probably better played live, too. I really like the version that's on YouTube that they did um, when they had that concert at Paisley Park uh, for New Year's Eve in 1987. I really like that version of Prince, uh, when he was in that, uh, peach and black, uh, uh, costume, well, not costume, peach and, you know, peach, peach and black suit. And, um, his hair was all bouncy and curly and beautiful. And he had the, uh, like the orange eye shadow. <laughs> he just looked great. I prefer that version of housequake housequake. I also like the version that he did on the love sexy tour when he was in uh, the polka dot uh, get up with the polka dot boots and he did that split. I mean, Housequake is a really funky, funky song. And it's one of those songs that, you know, I always go back to, but I always listen to, like I said, the live version of the song. Uh, Housequake was also included as the B-side for the album's third single, You Got the Look. Uh, and like I said, also a live version was also included in the concert. Uh, movie a sign of the times and I like that version that's on the movie as well so uh, the ba basic tracking took place for this on October 18th of 1986 the day after the public announcement of the revolution's disbanding and so for a lot of like princeologists I guess is what I call them people who are really into Prince 
and people who like write books and stuff about him and his music, they theorize that Housequake was the song that he put out, you know, the day after, you know, the revolutionist bandit. And you, you can tell that it's kind of a, a funky, funky song. It's really a departure from a lot of the, the songs uh, that he was doing with the revolution, which were more poppy and jazzy and things like that. So like I said, he wanted to return to his funk roots after the disbanding of the revolution. So this was also recorded at Sunset Sound. Overdubs included the party style vocals were added on the 26th, 26th of October, uh, the day before Fill You Up, which is another like song that I love, Fill You Up, which actually they put that on the um, extended uh, reissue of the 1999 album, I think, uh, Fill You Up. But there's, there's like a couple of versions of that song though. So Housequake is another song, like I said, it ha has the Camille of uh, sped up voice in it. But when he would play it live, he really wouldn't, you know, do the Camille voice. I noticed a couple of times um, he just did his regular voice. But either with the Camille voice or without it, I just really think that it's one of those uh, another kind of like playing the sunshine. One of those kind of um, really fun tracks. I like uh, he says, don't wait for your neighbor. Green eggs and ham. You know, he just, you know, it's just really a silly song. But it's also a song that when you... Um, it's one of those songs that'll, you know, you want to get up and do something. And I liked how he would have the whole band when they would play Housequake do like the little hop, like everybody, like you could see even like, um, uh, 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 Mark Fink when he was, uh, on the keyboard and, um, Eric Leeds, <coughs> excuse me, when they were on the saxophone, he had everybody, the horn section, everybody would do the little hop, everybody. So it's a fun track. I really like it. <coughs> Housequake is like, this is, um, sometimes I'll listen to Sun and the Sun. I'll listen to, uh, the first song, Sun, Sun, oh, Sun of the Times, excuse me, y'all. And then I will kind of, I'll, I'll admit, I'll probably skip playing the sunshine, um, depending on my mood and I'll go straight to Housequake and I'll listen to that. And, um, the, uh, here's some more information about it. The track was initially placed as the second track on the album for for the Camille album and was planned to be the B side of the single Shaka Delica, also to be credited to Camille. But the single and the album were both aborted. It was then included as the third track on the first disc of the triple album Crystal Ball, which eventually pared down to become Sign of the Times. So that's Sign of the Times. So the next uh, song, The Ballad of Dorothy Parker. Now this song to me, it had to grow on me. I'll be honest. It wasn't my favorite, kind of like playing the sunshine. Um, but unlike playing the sunshine, which I do prefer like the live version of that song, The Ballad of Dorothy Parker, I kind of prefer the studio, um, uh, the studio version. And it was one of those songs, just like, you know, he's doing kind of like a storytelling and that was cool. I, I liked it. And it was just one of those songs where you, you know, you listen to the song and you get kind of confused because I was like, so he was saying that, you know, he was going to take a bath, but he wasn't going to take his pants off. But at the end of the song, he did take his pants off. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just the whole song, um, was some kind of, kind of murky to me in a way. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's a great song. Don't get me wrong, but it's one of those songs where you just kind of like, uh, you know, 
You know what I'm saying? Um, but actually, Dorothy Parker was actually a real person, come to find out. And I don't think, I don't know for sure if Prince knew, but I think she she wasn't, I can't remember exactly like what she did or who she was, but I do know that Dorothy Parker was like a real person. Uh, but just some information about the uh, the single. The whole sound, uh, the whole song sounds somewhat dull. And I, th- I just said that <laughs> somewhat dull and murky because of a technical problem. The console for the newly built home studio arrived from Los Angeles as a skeleton and the wires hanging out and on all the parts and boxes. Everything was hooked up, but no music was run through the console before recording commenced. While installing, there was a loss of power in the house and the console had one power supply for the positive side and another for the negative side. And unbeknown to technician Susan Rogers, one of the power supplies didn't come back up. So Rogers noticed the music sounding flat, but didn't want to ask Prince to stop recording. It was only after the day long recording session that Rogers discovered the cause of the problem. However, Prince professed to like the recording. Okay. So I was wondering why it kind of sounded like, I don't know, not necessarily off, but he just, you know, it didn't, I don't know. It just kind of sounded, I don't know how to describe it, but I guess flat would probably be a good word. Uh, but Eric Lee's added saxophone uh, parts to the song, which was discarded. The song was also sent to Claire Fisher for his input. An elaborate horn arrangement was recorded, but Prince ended up not using it. So I one did they include that on the um, Song of the Times Deluxe uh, edition? Maybe I just missed it because I would like to hear the the horns in this song. Uh, Okay, so here's more about uh, Dorothy Parker. So the song's title seemingly refers to Dorothy Parker, an American writer and poet born in 1893, best known for her wit, wisecracks, and sharp eye for 20th century urban foibles. But this was unintentional. Prince wrote the song following a dream he had. He must have heard the name somewhere, but allegedly when asked at the time, it appeared that he did not know about the writer Dorothy Parker. Okay, so Dorothy Parker was a writer. And the song also references Joni Mitchell, which of course we all know how much uh, Prince loved him some Joni Mitchell. Um, He actually quoted a song from her 1974 album, uh, Court and Spark. so when he says, uh, I hear Joni singing, uh, help me, uh, that's from help me. I'm falling in love again. That's from that album. And, uh, in 2002, a live version was included as the uh, seventh track on the, uh, live release of one night alone, the after show, it ain't over titled entitled Dorothy Parker. So the version with Eric Lee's overdub was released in September of 2020 as the eighth track of the vault tracks part one. Okay. So it was on the special edition. So I will have to go back and listen to that because I would like to hear what this song, uh, sounds like with the, um, with the horns, because I don't know that little, like it was okay, but you know, I think the horns would have maybe jazzed it up a little bit, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but moving on. So the next song it now it, I think low key, outside of maybe a door i think it is probably one of my favorite songs on the album and a lot of people don't like it but i like it i mean it's just he got i mean he was you know it was one of those songs that was just straight talking about sex but i mean it was just prince at his you know 
at his uh, vulgar sexiness, uh, as always. Uh, so the track, well, like I said, was initially uh, configured on the Dream Factory um, album. And basic tracking took place at Sunset Sound on the 11th of May, 1986. And it was kept for inclusion in the fifth, as the fifth track on the first disc as the album developed into the triple album Crystal Ball. So it was also, of course, meant for Crystal Ball. But it, you know, he just basically talks about how much he likes to have sex with this woman. He likes to do it. You know, like it reminds me kind of of that song, of that LL Cool J song, doing it and doing it and doing it well. Y'all remember that song? Uh, that came out that uh, came out like the late 90s I think so when I heard it it kind of reminded me of that later song and then you know of course at the end where he says you know fucking only on mine <laughs> so he just basically just letting it be known that you know fucking is on his mind <laughs> and so you know that is what it is so no more can really be said about that I, I like it and um, I like that he you know makes those little noises he sounds almost like a like a cat or something at the end it's kind of weird but it's Prince <laughs> so moving on so starfish and coffee uh, is of course many of you may know the story behind it but for those that don't so Su Susanna Melvion which was Prince's fiance at the time she you know would often tell Prince stories about you know her time of you know when her and Wendy were growing up and um, so they went to school with this girl named Cynthia Rose. And obviously she was a, uh, uh, a girl of, you know, with special needs. And she would always tell people what she liked to, you know, what she would bring for lunch. And she would say starfish and pee-pee <laughs> and not starfish and coffee. And so the coffee part was Prince's idea. When he heard the, the, the story, he asked Susanna's permission to kind of turn it into a song. And so that's basically the story behind Star, Starfish and Coffee. Starfish and Coffee is just, it, it was one of those songs that it reminds me of, um, you know, Paisley Park or Graffiti Bridge. One of those kind of uh, alternative, kind of eclectic, psychedelic type of songs. But it's not psychedelic. It's, it's a really cute song. And it's really, it really fits, you know, for kids, you know, because you're talking about kids. And so, of course, he performed this when he was on uh, the Muppets uh, Tonight TV show uh, on the 28th of October, 1996. He performed that uh, and it was supposed to coincide. Uh, he was actually going to include this on a children's album that he was going to be working on uh, for his son, uh, Amir, who, you know, of course, unfortunately died of Pfeiffer syndrome, uh, complications of Pfeiffer syndrome. So. Prince, you know, I think that's all really um, why he went on to uh, Muppets Tonight because he was trying to, with Maite's encouragement, of course, trying to get into doing more, you know, kids, you know, related, uh, children's related music. And so he reached back um, uh, to do Starfish and Coffee. And he also did another song um, on that show. I can't remember. I, I think it was I Wish You Heaven or no, she gives she gives angels or something like that. Um, one of those songs, one of those songs he also did on that show. Um, but the basic tracking for this took place on the night of, uh, the 19th to the 20th of April, 1986. And, uh, this was at Prince's, his home studio, uh, without the school alarm bell sound effect opening the song, which was added later. The track was initially included 
as the ninth track on the late April configuration of the Dream Factory album. It was kept for inclusion as the eighth track on the first disc on the 3rd of June 1986 configuration and the seventh track on the 18th of July 1986 configuration. When the album developed into the triple album Crystal Ball, the alarm bell opening was added and the song was included as the sixth track on the first disc I know that's hard to keep up with <laughs> on the 30th November 1986 configuration. So just like all these other songs that went through all these different configurations with going back and forth from Dream Factory to um, Crystal Ball. And it finally ended up on Sign of the Times. So it's like I said, it's um, he had planned it for. Oh, okay, okay. So this is the children's album. It's going to be called happy tears that was going to be the name of the album but that information is unverified according to the principal so that might have not been um the name of the would-be album but uh like i said the lyrics came from Susanna melvion talking about her uh classmate and let me see starfish and coffee to me it's a cool song i think it's really cute but it's once again it's not one of it's not my favorite it's not a song that i I have to be in, the, I guess, in the right mood to want to listen to it, if that makes sense. So moving on, the next song, Slow Love, uh, was actually co-written by Carol Davis, whom Prince met in 1984. But in fact, it is essentially a sole composition by Davis, who wrote the lyrics and the music and did the vocal arrangement. Prince only helped to rewrite and rearrange the bridge. So actually, you could almost say Slow Love is almost like a uh, cover because uh, Carol Davis did most of the work. The only thing that Prince did was rewrite and rearrange the bridge. The, the initial version was recorded on the 1st of July, 1984 at his Cowboy Trail Home Studio in Chanhassen. The song was then shelved and taken out again two weeks later when Prince worked further on the recording on the 3rd of June, 1986. And let's see, the track was initially included, you know, in the ninth track on the third, you know, so this was another track that was included on the Dream Factory. When Prince was planning to release a song, now this is what where it gets kind of interesting with him and uh, Carol Davis. He attempted to buy the rights to the song. Uh, Davis said he had his lawyers call me and they offered me $25,000 to own the song outright and I refused. And they got back to me about a month later to give me 50% of publishing and writers, which I accepted for the opportunity to, to appear on a Prince record. In late 1993, the song was tried out during early sessions for Maite's first album at Paisley Park Studios in Chanhassen and was included as the eighth track on an early version of the album, which was titled Latino Barbie Doll at the time. The track was removed when the album evolved into the Child of the Sun. So it was going to actually, a version was going to be on Maite's album, uh, but it got cut from that. So um, let's see. So basically this is a cover and slow love is, I like it, but I guess maybe it's too slow for me. Um, I mean, but I guess that's, you know, I said it's slow love, but it's just kind of one of those songs that, you know, it has, uh, I like how Prince sings the song, but it's just one of those songs, just, you know, it's a nice song, but it is what it is. So the next song, Hot Thing, uh, is kind of, um, I guess you could say Hot Thing is kind of a funky, funky pop song. Uh, it's another one of my favorites on the album. It is the eighth track on the album, and it was going to be the B-side for the album's fourth single, 
I Could Never Take the Place of Your of Your Man. So it's actually going to be the B-side to that song. Uh, let's see, what else can we learn? Okay, so the basic tracking took place in uh, the 6th of August, 1986. And um, let's say at Prince's home studio, it was placed as the eighth and final track on the first disc of the Crystal Ball compilation. Uh, let's see what else. And I like the live performance of this song in the concert movie where Prince literally uh, dives up under Cat's uh, tutu and pulls it off with his teeth. <laughs> I thought that was really neat. Uh, so, um, so yeah, Hot Thing is just one of those songs. And had I not known any better, now I know, of course, he wrote the song before he met Cat, but with the way their chemistry was during the concert movie, it was almost like he wrote Hot Thing about Cat Glover. <laughs> like you would think if you didn't know that he already, uh, you know, had wrote the song before he met her. Because their chemistry was so well that, you, I mean, it just, they were, their chemistry was just off the chain. And that what, you know, a lot of people speculated that they were dating. And Cat has always maintained that they never dated, but, you know. She'll take her secrets with her to her grave. And of course, Prince isn't here with us to, you know, verify your nay. And he wouldn't, even if he was still alive. So there's that. So the next track, Forever In My Life. Um, th now this song I, is one of my favorites. And I also loved how they did it in the concert movie. And it actually inspired uh, JFK Jr. He actually had him and his... Um, his wife, uh, Carolyn Pissette, who rests in peace, you know, both of them died in that uh, plane accident in 1999. They actually played this at their uh, wedding reception. So this was a song, or was it the song they went down on the aisle with? I think they either went down the aisle to the song, or I think it was their first song. Yeah, it was their first dance song at their wedding reception. So, uh, and I think Prince uh, found out about that and was very, very humble to hear that. Um, but it's also one of those songs that I think um, that were was probably inspired by Susanna, even though I think at this time they were, you know, definitely having their issues. But I think Prince was just trying to, you know, tell her particularly like how much he loved her and how much he wanted, you know, to marry her and, you know, be together forever. And I think maybe at this point in their, you know, in their relationship, things were kind of going downhill and Prince was worried and, you know, of losing her, you know, and it may have been too far gone at this point. Uh, but I guess Prince decided to keep, uh, keep the song because I think by the time, uh, the album, by the time Sign of the Times came out, they had already broken up, I believe. Uh, but I, I think he just decided to keep the song because it's a great song, you know, so uh, and I, and I do like it. I like the, uh, doom, 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 like how the drums are. And I mean, it's, it's just a really, really great song. And as much as I hate the fact that, you know, they ended up, you know, breaking up, uh, it's still a beautiful song, but you know, sometimes these things can't be helped. You know, it is what it is. Uh, so let's see. What is the next song after forever in my life? Forever. Okay, you got the look. You got the look, which uh, actually turned into a duet. It didn't start as a duet with Sheena Easton, but that's what it turned into. Um, let's see, what can we learn about you got the you got the. Thing. And I like the guitar that the the guitar work that he did in this um this song. And it's one of those songs. It's another song that's kind of a 
uh, a fun song to listen to. And let's see. In 1993, it was included as the 13th track on Prince's second compilation album, The Hits. And Prince's original liner notes for the collection, which was not ultimately used, note that the song was written in response to Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. So he wrote uh, You Got the Look in response. And I wonder why they stay in response to Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. So let's see. Um, it shares a similar instrumental backing. Okay, so a friend, and I'm quoting this from the uh, Prince Vault, a friend of PRN used to jump up and dance whenever Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love came on. As a test, this song was recorded to find out if the friend would dance to a similar groove or just chill because it wasn't a hit. Sure enough, the friend didn't like the song until it was in the top 10. So I wonder what a uh, friend this was. Now, I do know that um, when he first met Cat Glover in a in a club that they danced to a Robert Palmer song, but I think it wasn't Addicted to Love. It was his other song. Um, uh, what was his other song? It was Addicted to Love. Might as well face it, you're addicted to love. And then he had that other song, uh, Simply Irresistible. So he danced with Cat. Uh, to that song, Simply Irresistible, She's So Fun, you know, that song. So I wonder if the friend is Cat. Guess we'll never know. But the song contains the first appearance of Sheena Easton on a Prince release. Although he, you know, they had previously worked together on tracks for her album. Uh, like, and he wrote Sugar Walls for one of her, uh, I think for her first or second album back in the early 80s. Uh, she is credited with a Coley co vocals. Although the single release only featured the name Prince on the cover. And this is repeated when they also would do the arms of Orion, which would be on the Batman soundtrack. So this was uh, their first uh, duet, but it wouldn't be their uh, last. In a 2012 interview, Sheena Easton said of You Got the Look, it was a track he basically finished for himself. It was just a Prince track. He said, do you want to just come in and sing some background vocals on the choruses? So I went into the studio and because I didn't know I was singing against him, I was all over the place. And he said he kind of liked that. So he, he expanded it into a duet. So another fact, fun fact about this song in August of 1987, Prince's half sister, Lorna Nelson filed a lawsuit against Prince stating that you got the look used lyrics from her song. What's cooking in this book. The case was dismissed by U.S. District Judge David Dottie on the 4th of May, 1988, stating that the two songs were not substantially similar. Prince did not appear in court during the case. So his sister, uh, Lorna, actually accused Prince of, I guess, uh, plagiarizing. But uh, it was found that, you know, that wasn't the case or the judge ruled against her. So I wonder what made her want to do that all of a sudden. Um, that's, that's interesting to me, but anyway, so that is, you got the love, you got the love. So the next song, if I was your girlfriend is probably with it, probably at a door, a door is my favorite song on the album. And of course it's the last song. Um, but if I was your girlfriend, is probably another song that I just love because it's another funky pop song. And it just, I just love it. I just love everything about it from 
the bass guitar to you know Prince's sped up vocals and just the whole idea of the song the fact that he wants to relate to his girlfriend as if she would as if he was one of her friends I like the whole I, I just love everything about it um let's see what can we learn about it hmm and it was released as a single and I really wish that it would have did better than what it did on the charts because it's such such a good song and it's one of those songs that I always come back to um okay here's something interesting if I was your girlfriend begins with a 15 you know 15 second collage likely recorded on the 23rd of December that contains samples of symphony orchestra tuning from Jack Halsman's 1964 sound effects you hear the, you know, you hear the, you know, the dun, 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 dun. And um, what else? You hear all these little, you know, sound effects. New York Street Vendor and um, things like that. The Wedding March. Uh, so all these little sound effects kind of, you know, make it kind of stand out a little bit. But I really, really love the song. I think it's uh, one of Prince's best songs. And it's one of those songs that I will just always turn up and listen to whenever I uh, hear it. So Strange Relationship, uh, the next song, um, was a song that also kind of had to grow on me because it sounded, just the lyrics were, sounded kind of toxic to me. You know, he says, baby, I hate to see you happy, but more than that, I hate to see you sad. Which one is it? And so, of course, I automatically thought, is he talking about vanity? And I hate to say that. I'm not one of those. Uh, look, y'all, I'm really not one of those um, uh, fams that think, oh, my God, you know, every song that he wrote in the 80s was about vanity. I don't. But it just to me, I don't know. It could have been maybe Susanna again. I'm not sure. But it was definitely about someone because I mean, and then I mean, it was kind of like a dun, 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 dun. I, I just like the arrangement of the song. And he's almost like trying to say that he's sorry that he that he's acting the way he is or, but he can't help it because you know, their relationship being the way it is, he doesn't ever know where they stand. And so, but I think that Prince put himself in that position in a lot of his relationships with women. I don't know if he did it purposely or not, but he just, you know, he always kind of left a lot of the women in limbo. And I think it's because he never knew what he wanted. You know, and that's why, you know, he could never be faithful because even though he was engaged to Susanna at one point, he was still, you know, messing with Sheila E and Jill Jones and Devin DeVasquez and, you know, whoever else. <laughs> so he just never knew what he wanted. Um, so this was another of the songs that right after the revolutionist bandit that Prince uh, remixed the song at Sunset Sound. Uh, let's see. Um, this actually, um, this is one of his earlier songs because the initial tracking was from 1983. Okay. So that makes me think that it was maybe about vanity, but who knows? It might have not been about anybody. Uh, don't listen to me, <laughs> but I, I like it. But like I said, it, it just sounds kind of a, has a toxic vibe to it in my opinion. Uh, so after strange relationship is I could never take the place of your man, which is probably the oldest song on this, um, album. It was first, uh, basic tracking for it took place way back in, uh, May of 1979 at Hollywood sound recorders in Los Angeles. 
And so um, he pulled this out, you know, and, you know, redid some overdubbing. And so he pulled this out from the vault and just kind of reworked it into the album. And the original 79 version was released in September of 2020, uh, a part of the Super Deluxe Edition. And I like that version as well. But I, I like that he kind of added more of a guitar solo in the one that he put out with uh, Sign of the Times. And I also appreciate the live version of this in the concert uh, movie as well. Um, and then he, you know, he, I like the, like I said, the guitar solo to me was a highlight of the song. But um, I mean, and then I like the little like play along that him and Kat did. And just, this was another song kind of similar to the Ballad of Dor Dorothy Parker and that it's kind of like telling a story. You know, this, this woman that wants to be friends after, with Prince after her man leaves her. And then Prince was like, uh, no, honey, baby, that's a dead end. You know, you and I both know that this is just going to be a one night wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type of thing. And that's all you can get from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and you deserve more than that. So that's what basically that was about. So moving on the cross, uh, which is of course his most religious, uh, spiritual, if you will, a song on the album. Um, I like the cross. But like I said, it was another one of those songs that kind of had to grow on me. Uh, but, you know, those first couple of lines, you know, me being a Christian myself, I totally, you know, encompassed it. And The Cross is another one of those songs that I prefer to listen to live. And as uh, but Prince would go on to change it to The Christ after he became a Jehovah's Witness, because apparently Jehovah's Witness have something against The Cross. I'm not exactly sure what it is. And uh, forgive me. I like the cross personally. I like the, you know, the first version of the song and it's a beautiful song. And a live version was also included as the closing track on the concert movie, Sign of the Time. So yeah, they switched it. It was going to be uh, a beautiful night, but I guess they changed the set list uh, due to the message of the song, which of course is a very religious song talking about uh, the importance of knowing Jesus and knowing uh, what his sacrifice meant for us as uh, mankind. And it's, it's a really beautiful song. So it's going to be a beautiful night, uh, which is the next song uh, was actually the very last song that the revolution would appear on. And it's kind of a, it's a, one of those songs um, it has a lot going on in the song because Sheila E has like a rap that you can barely hear. Like, I don't, she's, I'm like, what is she saying? Like Sheila E was not in the studio, but recorded her rap over the phone from a hotel on the bank of the Ohio river in Cincinnati. When she was on tour with Lionel Richie, the Ohio river coincides with the Mississippi and Kentucky, but it is a Mississippi river that has to be crossed when going from Cincinnati to Hollywood, California, where the rap was recorded. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But anyway, <laughs> although recorded with the Full Revolution Band, the song is only credited to Prince. Okay, Prince, that might've been a little bit of a dick move there, buddy, but it's Prince. So the basic tracking was recorded live on the 25th of August, 1986. And uh, this is uh, when they were in uh, Paris, France. So this is when they were on the parade tour. And um, this is actually from a sound check that they did earlier in the day uh, when they were recording, when Susanna was there and they were uh, recording Strange Relationship and a cover of The Temptations. 
what what does it say Susanna's recordings were made Susanna's blues I guess that was the name of the soundcheck song strange relationship and a cover of the temptations I can't get next to you okay so during a sound check um and this is um it's gonna be a beautiful night was uh, a first run through and the, what you hear is just of the first take so they did this in one take y'all so uh and so i mean that's incredible it kind of like how they did uh power fantastic uh they did it in one take i mean and it sounds great and there's so much like i said going on in this song and in the and in the movie of course uh prince at one point gets on the drums from um from sheila e and they do this uh dance called what is it called the detroit crawl where you kind of get on your your feet and your hands and you kind of get on your butt and you kind of slide and do this kind of it, it's crazy y'all seen the concert a film so i'm probably not gonna review that or maybe i should y'all want me to review it i might ask on the facebook page so anyway that is uh it's gonna be a beautiful night so finally 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 my favorite song of the album adore so adore which was originally entitled adore until the end of time um was you know the seventh and final track on the album let's see the basic tracking took place on the 19th of november 1986 at sunset sound and uh three days before recording playing the sunshine and the studio overdubs for it's gonna be a beautiful night uh in 2000 adore was planned for inclusion on uh when two are in love the ballers of prince and i really wish that they would have done that because that i mean maybe the estate will i would like a collection of his ballers i think that would be great and um it was included on the hits uh hits one uh and let's see what else yeah but um i've said this before about this song prince wrote this and this is not in the notes but i just know it from just you know things that i've read that he wrote this for black radio because at the time um, you know, Whitney Houston and, um, uh, just so many R and B artists at the times, Luther Vandross, um, Marvin Gaye before he passed, we're doing just these beautiful, uh, let me think of who else, um, uh, Barry, uh, uh, what is his last name? Y'all <laughs> baritone. Anyway, you know, the baritone voice, Barry. Uh, why can I not think of his middle, his last name? Anyway, so um, they were doing these just beautiful, beautiful R&B ballads. And he and Prince was like, shit, say less. I can do that. I can do a Luther. <laughs> so that's what Adore was. And even to this day, a lot of black people, if you ask them what is their favorite Prince song, they're going to say Adore. If they don't say Adore... I don't, I'm trying to think of what else they would say, but most likely it's Adore. And Adore is a beautiful song and his range in the song. He, I mean, he just goes from high to low to falsetto to his, to his like chest uh, range. And I mean, it's just, he, you know, does a little spoken part and maybe not the ride, you know, but it just goes to show uh, how much that he really, really loves Susanna. And he just, you know, when he first, cause so Adore is about, you know, kind of when he first met her and how he, you know, just really had to talk to her and get to know her and how he just, you know, grew to, you know, fall in love with her. And it's a really, really sweet song. And this is one of just one of those songs that I always have on my uh, top list. And it's, and it made my top three, I believe of my favorite Prince songs. 
and uh, it's just one of those songs that I always come back to all the time. Um, it's a beautiful song from start to finish, and I think it was a great way to end the album, in my opinion. I really just wish that, I mean, it was a, like a radio hit, like it was like a black, like it was a black hit, but I really wish she would have made it like a single because I really do think that it would have done a really decent job on the charts. But Prince being Prince, you know, he decides how he wants his music to be consumed and it is what it is on that. But that is the end of my review. So thank you guys so much. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and a wonderful Happy New Year. Until then, peace and, we, peace and be wild and may you live to see the dawn. Bye. <laughs>